Hi, I'm David, and I'm the host of the Cool Jobs Podcast, a conversation where we dive deep into some of the coolest jobs on the planet. This is the home for jobs you've never heard of, or ones you never thought about before. This podcast is for students, learners, dreamers, or anyone who's interested in finding out about the coolest jobs around. I'll be speaking with experts across a wide spectrum of career possibilities with the hope that you'll find inspiration for your own career. Thanks for joining in. I'm your host, David Earnhardt, Associate Director for Employer Relations at UNC Asheville. And joining me today is Hallie Schaefer, Solar Project Engineer. Hallie, thanks so much for joining us for the Cool Jobs Podcast. We're super excited you're here. Thanks. I'm happy to be here, too. Hi. Well, uh, first things first, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you got to be where you are. Well, that's a long story, but I'll try to be brief. I had a career in education. I taught middle school band and then I burned out and went into real estate just in time for the real estate market to crash in 2008. Mm -hmm. And then it was 2011 and I was not doing very well. I also had a a professional musician career, um, you know, doing freelance musician work. And between that and real estate, things weren't great, but I could, um, I could survive. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go back to school and I found out about the mechatronics program at UNC Asheville mm-hmm. and, uh, it fit me perfectly. So I jumped in headfirst and completed that degree in three years. And I figured I would need to move away to get an engineering job because there's not a lot of engineering in Asheville. Uh, so I, I moved to Raleigh and got a job at Lord Corporation as a uh, test engineer. Um, I did all kinds of testing in aerospace. And um, after doing that for a few years, I really had a strong urge to get into renewables. And I had an opportunity to, uh, to join Cypress Creek Renewables as a project engineer um, after doing some self-study learning the basics of solar PV design engineering. And so I made the jump and I'm so glad I did. I absolutely love being in solar. It's a great industry. It's a growing industry. Uh, The people who work there are phenomenal. Um, It's just a really great place to be. It fits with my worldview. Um, An environmentalist, um, love solar energy. I drive an electric car. So uh, it was a really great fit for me. Uh, Cypress Energy closed out their EPC division in 2019, and so I made the jump over to Pine Gate Renewables at that point. And ironically, at that point, my husband and I were living in, in Raleigh, but we uh, now, I, now I work for a company that has an office in Asheville. So nice. that's a kind of full circle. Um, however, we still live in Raleigh, uh, but I come up to the mountains as often as I can. And l- last July... Pine Gate Renewables opened up an EPC division. Mm-hmm. And so our new company is called Blue Ridge Power. And so I work for Blue Ridge Power now. Awesome. So you've used a couple of uh, acronyms that I want to make sure that folks understand before we jump too, too deep into, uh, into the work you do. So you said PV and you also said EPC, if you wouldn't mind describing those for us. Oh, thank you so much. I have a, a pet peeve of folks that use acronyms and I don't know what they mean. So <laughs> thanks for keeping me in check there, David. Absolutely. PV stands for photovoltaic. So that Mm -hmm. is a a very widely used acronym for solar. So Mm -hmm. these are the solar panels that you see on people's houses or on the the big fields when we make the solar farms. 
Um, photovoltaic has to do with the way the sun hits the, um, the solar cell and the photo meaning comes from the sun and voltaic means it turns into volts. So that's how we make power. Um, nice. And EPC stands for engineering procurement and construction. So when you have a big solar farm project or really any big development project, you usually have an EPC division to handle the actual, let's get this thing built. We're gonna get it through permitting. We're gonna get it, we're gonna you know, procure all of the equipment and supplies needed to, to build the farm. And then we're going to construct it. So mm. we're gonna design it with our engineering group and do everything else to actually get the solar in the ground. Hmm. And so uh, take us through that process a little bit. I, I, I think a little bit about, you know, the sun, you know, the sun hits my roof and I have some solar, some solar panels on that. And that takes a little bit of uh, installation work. You know, you have to get up on the roof and, and, uh, and mount some solar panels and run your wires and, and have everything uh, tied into either a battery in your house or uh, a uh, tied into the grid. But I can imagine that when you're starting to put in thousands and thousands of solar solar panels, it ends up being a little bit of a different process. So kind of take us through uh, what it would mean to uh, to put together one of those EPCs. Yeah, sure. So the projects that we build are anywhere from less than one megawatt DC to well over a hundred megawatts DC. So to get that a, a size perspective, um, like say a one megawatt DC solar farm would take up maybe 10 acres, whereas a hundred megawatt would take up maybe a thousand acres. Hmm. So we, we use um, a lot of land in our projects and there, the process can take anywhere from one to four or more years to complete. The longest part of the process is working with the utility to establish power purchase agreements and interconnection agreements. I'm not gonna go into details about that because so somebody else takes care of all that. <laughs> um, but we, we do have to work very closely with utilities to make sure we're meeting their requirements and that they are offering a, a rate that makes the project profitable. Hmm. So, um, so that takes, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, give me an idea of what something, what a utility might request as far as their um, their requirements. You mentioned that it takes uh, most of the time is working with utility. And I just was curious, you know, what would be an example of, of a requirement that they might have? Well, they have a very large transmission and distribution circuitry. As you know, when you drive around, you see large transmission structures and lines running everywhere. Um, they have uh, very, very strict requirements on what power can be connected to a specific line. So let's say you have a thousand acres in the middle of North Carolina somewhere and you want to make a solar farm. It needs to be on a transmission line and that transmission line needs to have room, for lack of a better word, it needs to have some capability to accept that extra power that's gonna be running on those lines. So mm -hmm. you first of all, you have to jump through that hurdle. You have to jump through um, the utility purchasing process hurdle, which in North Carolina means that Duke Energy has um, a process thereby they go through and determine which projects are viable for, for their needs. And they do a competitive building bidding process. Um, so not every project is built in North Carolina or any other utility. They just have to go through and determine which ones are gonna be the ones that are awarded the projects. Yeah. And so that's the utility part. There's also a very hefty zoning um, pro 
part of the project where you have to get the local authorities to uh, approve the project. And sometimes that's a state uh, zoning authority. Sometimes it's a county. Sometimes it's a city or a township authority. And so that all happens before it comes to me. The utility agreements and the zoning permits, those usually happen before they come to the EPC division. Once they come to us, we shepherd the project through the other permitting. So we're talking the civil permitting, the building and electrical permitting, and uh, if there's any other permits, like um, sometimes they require might maybe a structural permit as part of the building electrical. We, we get the projects through that process and then we build them. Hmm. Um, so the, the permitting process, the civil par permits, they take a while. You have to apply to the usually the state Department of Environmental Quality or the County Department of Environmental Quality, um, depending on where your project is. And uh, sometimes you have both. Sometimes you just have um, erosion control. Sometimes you have erosion control and stormwater. So I could go into a lot more detail, but you get the idea. Mm -hmm. um, so once you have your civil permit, then you can get the bulldozers on site and start pushing dirt around. Mm. Um, they, that's when they put up silt fencing and they, they, ditch, uh, they, they dig out drainage basins. Um, things for the sediment to flow through. So they protect the, the, the local waters from all of the sediment and erosion that can happen after you start pushing dirt around. Mm. And then once we get our building electrical permits, then they can get the um, electrical contractors to come in. They can build the racking. Um, there's a whole lot of equipment that goes into a solar farm. So you have your panels, you have your racking structures, you have your, we call it BOS or balance of system. And mm -hmm. that is all the wires that get you from your modules up to your inverters. And that consists of obviously your wires, your harnesses, your fuses, and either a combiner box or a disconnect box. And then that runs from there to your inverter. And your inverter is the magic. This is the most, one of the most important pieces of a solar farm because PV, photovoltaic modules are DC, they're direct current. So that means it's like your car. So you have a battery or a, a source, in this case, the solar panel, it sends out um, current through the negative electrode and it comes back to the positive lane. It goes in one direction only. But right. in our houses and in our businesses, we all have alternating current or AC. Um, AC means it's a sinusoidal wave. So you can imagine um, just a, a cool sinusoidal wave. I, I don't know how to describe that. So where people could understand that if they don't know what that is. So maybe like it if EK, you don't know. <laughs> like an EKG or something, maybe. Yeah, right? like yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, it goes up yeah. and down. Um, so so alternative current is in our houses and you have to change a DC current into an alternating current in order for, for it to be useful, in order for mm. you to sell it to the utility. So the inverter is the, the big box that does that magic. And so it takes the DC, it turns it into AC at a certain voltage. Um, a lot of times our central inverters convert it to about 630 volts AC, 600-ish volts AC. And then from there, we step it up with a transformer up to a medium voltage, maybe anywhere from 8.32 kV or kilovolt, mm -hmm. all the way up to 34.5 kV. And uh, depending on the size of the farm, we run that, that medium voltage circuit over to a substation. If it's a big project, if it's a smaller project, maybe like a three to seven megawatt project, we run it to a distribution line. So 
a distribution line would be like a pole top three phase um, line at 12.47 kV or 22.86 kV, one of those voltages. And then we interconnect there. And the interconnection um, at a, at, with a smaller project consists of a few poles with pole top equipment. So we're talking a, 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 a recloser, which is basically a circuit breaker and a meter. So we can monitor our um, expected outcome and a, a GOAB switch and a GOAB, G-O-A-B, that stands for gang operated air break. So that's your, your safety switch. So if something really bad is happening, you can okay. open that GOAB switch and you can cut off the solar farm from the grid. And it, it, for a large scale project, like hundred megawatt, you know, 50 megawatt, those kinds of projects, uh, we would have a substation and the substation would have a set of breakers where the medium voltage would come in, some switches. Um, it would usually have a capacitor bank to help. Um, I don't wanna go into too much detail about the capacitor bank, but it helps even out the, the, the kind of power that we're creating. And then we have a large, we call it GSU, which stands for generator step up transformers. This is a generator, this is, sorry, this is not a generator, it's a transformer. That's about the size of a bedroom. It's a big transformer and it steps up the voltage from your 34 and a half KV or whatever your utility, your medium voltage is, steps it up to whatever the utility voltage be that 115 KV or 230 or even higher voltages. Mm -hmm. So that's, and then, then we take it to a break, a high voltage breaker, and then on to the utility has their own switchyard substation. So they have a, a breaker and some switches. And then it goes onto the transmission line that um, is existing or usually, usually is existing, but sometimes it can be built. Hmm. Sounds like a lot of, it sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot of processes and a lot of steps and, and uh, bringing the voltage up and bringing it down. And, and uh, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of, um, a lot of things to learn in that. I, and, and so I, I'm curious, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, being a, a band band teacher and being a musician and uh, and and then you know doing the mechatronics program here at UNC Asheville and 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 I'm just curious, like, were you able to teach yourself all of this? You mentioned earlier that you uh, did some self learning on on some of this, and and I'm just curious uh, how someone can can learn all of these uh, very important uh, and and incredibly dangerous uh, uh, steps. Well, David, that's a great question. <laughs> and to be honest, I I can't contribute at all to self-learning. I, I had a really great education at the mechatronics program. So for those of you who don't know, metric mechatronics is kind of a combination of mechanical, electrical, and computer engineering. So you study about to a junior level in all three disciplines. And so when you go out into the field, you have uh, a breadth of knowledge and a variety of subjects. And it's really well suited for a lot of different engineering applications and solar is one of those. So since I had a good, strong electrical background, um, we studied circuits, we studied AC, we studied DC, we studied um, transients, we studied a lot of different kinds of electrical engineering um, issues at UNC Asheville. Once I got into solar, I found that knowledge to be extremely helpful. I knew what transformers were. I knew what inverters did. I knew what AC, what, how, to, how to change from three phase voltages to single phase voltages and how, how current and voltage are related. 
Um, so, so that was extremely helpful. And what I, what I learned on my, on my own was the, in, the intricacies of just the solar part. Cause I didn't have a specific solar class when I was in school. And so I learned how the sun tracks across the sky and, and what, um, what, if you have a fixed tilt system, what angle to put them at. Um, I learned how to uh, determine what your, what your maximum voltage is going to be based on your minimum temperatures and those kinds of things that I didn't have a chance to learn in school. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have a, a great appreciation for the mechanical components, like the racking, there's a lot of structural calculations that go into racking and having some of that, that learning and experience from, from the structural classes we had, we had solid mechanics, we had strength of materials. And a lot of those principles are used in the, in the design of the racking. And so when I had a solar farm that got nine inches of snow in late 2018 and every single every single track, uh, it was, it was a fixed tilt stick, every single table collapsed. I okay. could understand why it was because of the, the structural integrity of the components that went in there and they were, they uh, were built improperly. So. Got it. Yeah. So yeah. It, because I can imagine if it's, if it's fixed and you know, you've got a hundred acres worth of property that are covered in solar panels, like there's a lot of different things that are involved in that, right? There's there's wind and rain and snow, but then there's also, you know, birds and insects and, you know, the, the rodents and, and things that are uh, that are interested in your system that uh, uh, you may have to plan for. Absolutely. Oh, there's so many, David. Uh, one of the biggest one is theft. Huh. Right. We we have a lot of copper. And aluminum um, on our uh, sites. We have our wires and especially the copper. People see the copper and oh, they get excited. So we have a, we, we have a, a balance of system component um, that we run, we run our DC cables above ground through the racking and we hang them up on these um, messenger wires. And the messenger wires is a structural wire. It's a steel cable, but they coat it in copper so it can double as your ground wire. And so it looks like this big fat copper wire when in fact, it's actually still with a very thin coating of copper on it. And people will take the messenger wire and all of the DC cabling down just for that steel wire. Then they take it to the scrapyard and scrapyards like this is steel. This isn't copper. This isn't worth very much. And so, so that is something that we have to plan for. Um, we have to plan our roads and fences and our locations for our inverters carefully so that they make sense with the rest of the site. Um, there's so much planning that goes into it. Um, yes, birds, we have to, on pole top equipment, we have to put wildlife protectors on them so that like a large bird, like a hawk or an eagle, if it landed on a, a, a pole, it wouldn't touch a ground wire and a phase wire at the same time because it would fry the bird and it would cause damage to the equipment. Um, we have to do we have to do operations and maintenance to mow underneath because weeds will grow up into the solar panels and cause shading and other problems. Um, we have to, one thing we do at, at Blue Ridge Power and Pine Gate, which is a, a, a really a great program is we do a wildlife friendly fence. So hmm. we, we do wanna keep large animals like deer out of our farms because they could go in and they could cause a lot of damage, right? 
but we want to let small animals in like rabbits. Um, so we, we install it instead of chain link fencing, we install this, we call it wildlife friendly fencing. So it, it has um, large, maybe eight inch square um, mesh at the bottom. And then it, as it goes up to the top, it gets smaller hmm. so that um, smaller mammals like foxes or rabbits um, could get through turtles um, and they can in, enjoy being inside the, the fence. But the larger animals, of course, can't. I, <laughs> the things that you don't think about, right? You drive by the you drive by the solar farm on the side of the road, and you're just like, "Oh, that's a bunch of panels. That's cool." But then <laughs> to think about varmint fencing <laughs> is uh, definitely something that uh, I would have never thought about in in, <laughs> in the process for sure. Yep, there's that's one thing we also do. Sometimes we do pollinator friendly seed mixes so that we can have um, local apiarists have a. I'm saying this right, apiarists, something like that. Uh, they can have their bees either on the site or very close by. Um, sometimes we incorporate pollinator friendly bushes and trees and shrubs inside our vegetative buffers. Um, there's all sorts of things that we do to one, to, to make our, our projects compliant with the zoning authorities and two, to, to make them pretty and to make them something that neighbors would be proud to be by. There's a big problem that a lot of neighbors don't want to be um, next to a solar farm, hmm. but I would encourage them to, to think twice because there's a lot of worse things you could have next door, like a Absolutely. sawmill or asphalt plant. You know, there's, there's a lot of worse things and a, a solar farm is going to be quiet. It's not going to have a lot of traffic. It's really kind of a nice thing to have next door. Absolutely. Yeah. There's uh, this or... great saying, David, um, a solar spill just means a nice day. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. And, and from what I understand, and tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, but it, even as far as renewables are concerned, uh, solar is, is a, you can have, you can have solar production even on a cloudy day, right? It, the, if the wind isn't blowing, it's really hard to collect wind in a, in a, in a turbine. But if you have, you know, an overcast day, kind of like we're recording today or this morning anyway, you still have some production out of those. Am, am I understanding that correctly? You are. It's not going to be as strong of a production, but it is some. Absolutely. Um, it depends on how cloudy, you know, if you've got one of these gray, nasty, rainy, wet days, you won't have very much. Right. But in, on, when you look at a large scale solar farm, a lot of times if it's partly cloudy, there might be a spot that's in the, in the sun over here and the rest of it's in the shade mm -hmm. or, or, you know, in the clouds. But um, you have you do have a, a, a good amount. It depends on the technology of um, of uh, module two. So thin film does a little bit better during cloudy days. Um, but the polycrystalline, those are the normal ones that you see. Those are a lot better on sunny days and they produce more, um, they were more energy dense than the thin film. Ah, got it. It's funny to think about like, you know, you think about a solar panel as a solar panel, right? It's kind of like a car as a car, but it's not. I mean, there's, there are Ferraris and there are pickup trucks, right? That do, they have very different jobs to do very different things. So <laughs> one of the most amazing things that I've seen in my four years experience as an as a solar engineer mm -hmm. is the wattage of the modules. So in 2017, the projects we were building had modules that were 300, 325 watts. Mm -hmm. The projects that we're building now have modules that are 450 to 550 watts. And I mean, that's not that long to, to increase the efficiency 
so much. Granted, a part of that is the modules are getting physically bigger, but a lot of that is the efficiency upgrades. Um, it's because the 450 watt modules are the same size as the 300 watt modules of four years ago. Got it. Okay. And that, and, and my understanding too, is that that becomes exponential, right? I mean, like the, you're going in both directions, right? So you're getting wider and taller. So you're, you're able to expand in, in, in a exponential may be the wrong word talking to someone who understands math, um, <laughs> but it becomes like you're almost doubling the space because you're going wider and taller or you're getting more what, dense because it's going what smaller. it allows David is it allows us to work with projects that are space constrained. So mm, if you can right. imagine, like, let's say there's a thousand worthwhile projects in North Carolina that would be good for solar. And let's say that over the last four years, the best 300 of them have been taken up. Right. So what does that mean? That means the leftover 700 or so, they're not that great. They have a lot of wetlands, these finger shaped um, areas where you can't build in, um, cutting up the, 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 the buildable area. So you have more space constrained sites and more spread out sites. I have one site that I've been working on. It's a, it's a thousand, it's a, it's a hundred megawatts, a thousand acre. And it's so spread out because it's this landowner up here. And then the wind over here does, uh, um, people can't see what I'm saying. I'm trying to motion with my hands. Can't you see what I'm talking about? Um, anyway, so there's just a lot of space between the different parcels that are make up the project. Um, and that's the reality now. We have these large projects that have several landowners spread out. They're cut up. They have very strange shapes. You just don't have square, squarical site types of um, squaricals, a term that our um, one professor used to use when I was at UNCA. Um, if we don't have those, those nice square projects anymore. And so when you have these higher wattage modules, you can fit the same amount of DC in a smaller space. Mm -hmm. and, and it only is going to get more efficient, I would assume, right? I mean, at some point it becomes impossible to get more efficient, but we're a long way from that, from what I understand. So got some time. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the Cool Jobs Podcast. And so we, we've shared a little bit about the, the cool work that you do. And I appreciate that a lot. I, I, and so I always ask this question because uh, I think sometimes it's interesting to hear what, uh, what kind of jobs that the people that I'm interviewing, uh, what kind of jobs they think are cool. And so I wonder, you know, what, uh, who is somebody that you think has a cool job and why? Okay, this is going to sound cheesy, but I'm going to say Mark Rober. Um, he's a YouTuber, but uh -huh. he's um, his YouTube is is really awesome because he solves problems. He's an engineer, mm -hmm. and he's a, a former NASA engineer. He he helped design the Mars rover. Oh, um, wow. So brilliant, brilliant guy. But he he um, became famous for his um, glitter bomb. Uh, um, a lot of people probably know what I'm talking about now. It's uh, yeah. So he, people were stealing Amazon packages off of his porch. And so he designed a glitter bomb to basically, um, teach them a lesson. And it is of course, one of the funniest videos you'll ever see. Um, and then he did a squirrel uh, obstacle course. He did two of those and, um, he's done a lot of YouTube videos. Um, so I think he's got a cool job. Yeah, he's, you know, I bet he spends a lot of time, you know, tinkering and editing his videos. But other than that, I think like the design of his projects, the testing, the execution, I think that would probably give him a lot of satisfaction. Absolutely. 
that's cool too because you 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 see the finished product as on youtube and it's a it's a fun narrative and you see the glitter explode and or you see the squirrels doing acrobatic things and it's awesome at the same time like it takes you back backstage sometimes you get to see like oh well that servo didn't fire when it was supposed to or this sensor didn't work the way it was supposed to and so it's a um it, it you can get really nitty-gritty on on his work as well so that's a good one i like that well, good. Well, thank you so much for for your time and and your energy and sharing so much about your cool job with us. We really appreciate it. How can uh, how can folks find out more about you and about Pinegate? Well, um, I I'm on LinkedIn. If they want to send me a request on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to you know, friend friend up people or and I guess it's not friends or connect. I guess. Um, and I'm on Facebook. I don't do Twitter or TikTok or any of those fancy, fancy things. I don't do Instagram. I'm way too Either. old school for that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you can always hit me up on, on either Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, and I'm in Asheville regularly. So um, if anybody wants to, to chat about solar, you should just hit me up because I'm always happy to to talk about like residential solar, if they want to, if interested in doing it on their roofs or in their yard or whatever. Um, and then, you know, of course, when it comes to, to trying to get in the solar industry, um, always happy to give suggestions um, on how to, to get your foot in there. Well, if you wouldn't mind, jump in with with one suggestion, maybe what would be something that if someone's interested in in, you know, working at Pine Gate, for example, or, you know, jumping in at, with a, a with a solar company, what would be something that you would suggest? Yeah. So the, uh, the biggest thing I would suggest is doing something to, to, to study up on either solar or whatever it is that interests you, whether it be like environmental in, in concerns or um, project management or whatever, um, to give yourself a leg up um, is to, is to, to do something in the, in the realm of self-study um, to just show that you're, you're passionate and to show that you care a lot and to show you really want to be in this industry. So for me, that was, I, I bought a book on Amazon on solar PV engineering. I read as much of it as I could and I did the problems in the back of the chapter. I know, so <laughs> dorky, right? But that right there is what got me in the door. That's awesome. And so I would, I would say to anybody else, if you, that's what you wanna do, if you wanna be a solar engineer, and you don't get the background in school that you need, mm -hmm. go find the resources that you think will get you where you need to be and do them. And because that says a lot, I was told a while ago that when it comes to hiring people, it's hard to find somebody who is, has the right attitude and is willing to learn. And it's a lot easier to find somebody with the experience who's jaded but who's a better employee? Uh, right. right. So if you Someone, can, yeah. yeah, if you can, if you are want to be that enthusiastic, willing to learn employee, show that, show that you've taken steps to, to be that person and, and you will get there. Absolutely. I like that phrasing too. The idea that someone who knows what they're knows all the has all the experience, but is jaded toward toward it is uh, is easier to find uh, potentially and uh, tempting to hire. And at the same time, you don't know how jaded they are until they've already been, <laughs> until you've already hired them. <laughs> yep, that is so true. <laughs>
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, for taking your time and your energy and, uh, you know, sharing your really cool job with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for listening to the Cool Jobs Podcast, a service of the Career Center at UNC Asheville. Like what you heard? Give us a like, share with your friends, and subscribe. Next week, we'll be talking to Kimber Jones, Environmental Programs Coordinator. So be sure to check it out. We'll see you next time.